Hey, thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. If this teaching leaves you with a question about the content or a story of what God is doing in your life, please send a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church because we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Because we are in season two, episode four of a series called This is Jesus. And what we're doing is we're doing one of my favorite things to do at this church, just preaching through whole books of the Bible and just finding out what God has to say to us, believing that his word is relevant to us at all times and all places. And what we're doing is we're reimagining ancient document, Gospel of Luke, in our Bibles as if it were anything like a modern day docu-series. And what that does is that allows us to split the whole book into seasons that were, we did our first season a while back, we're doing season two now. It doesn't matter if you've caught season one or missed every episode, all of these stand alone. You have something to gain from them. But if you want to get even more, you know, I encourage you to read through the Gospel of Luke or to go listen to some of the other episodes um, as well to get, uh, to get even more out of this series. Right now, what we're seeing in this season is we're seeing Jesus in what's called his Galilean ministry. We're seeing him where he's, uh, we saw his, you know, infancy, you know, birth stories. We saw him, a little picture of him growing up. We saw his baptism. We saw him in the wilderness, all of this preparation. But when this season started, we're beginning to see him do what he came to do. He's walking around this region called Galilee, um, where he's, uh, the region that he's from, and he's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. And the most important thing he's doing is he's declaring the good news of the kingdom. And right now it's a little bit vague what he means by that, but as we keep moving through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see him unpack that some more. Um, We know that his popularity is growing. He's actually beginning to recruit followers. Last week, we talked about three steps in becoming a follower of Jesus and three steps in helping somebody else becoming a follower of Jesus. Um, And uh, we saw that Peter is starting to follow him now, and he's starting to recruit some other followers, but he's growing in popularity. He's starting to go viral, and with the increasing popularity, we're seeing a parallel rise in controversy. That begin, now we're seeing critique and antagonists and people who are beginning to question Jesus. As soon as anything becomes popular, all of the detractors, all of the people who are like, I'm not sure about this, start to come out. We're going to see that today. Now, a few episodes ago, we stopped uh, what we were doing to really go take a deep dive on what was happening with demons. We talked about how demons are spiritual hijackers of individuals and purposes. And in this episode, we're going to slow down and answer a question that I skipped a few episodes ago, which is what is going on with Jesus and healing? We're going to consider some of the common questions I get from people in our church and people outside of our church about Jesus and healing. Questions like, is all of this just a metaphor for spiritual healing? You know, you know Jesus didn't come to heal leprosy, but the leprosy of our souls. Um, if, this, if someone isn't healed, does it mean that they don't have enough faith? Some of you maybe grew up in churches where people said that. Um, should we go to the doctor if we're sick or just go to Jesus? Do, does Jesus mirac- did Jesus miraculously heal people or was it just their way of making sense of what we now know through medical science and psychology? What is the point of all the healing that Jesus did? Maybe you're asking some of these questions or you have somebody in your life or a friend or a neighbor who's asking these kinds of questions. But in the end, some of you are asking none of those questions. And the only question that really matters to you is, does Jesus heal now. Not just did he heal then, are are these stories true, but can these be true now? Is this livable and experienceable by us in our own time? 
Uh, I want to let you know before we get into our text for this week about something coming up as a follow-up to what I said last week, um, is that we have a worship and a baptism night coming up on May 23rd in the park. Our last one was in the fall. It was a lot of fun. It was too cold for baptisms, but we did them anyways. Um, and we're going to do them again, hopefully on a warmer day, Sunday, May 23rd. Last week, we talked about taking steps to follow Jesus. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, which is all about who Jesus is, but eventually we got to make a decision about whether or not we want to follow him. And one of the ways we do that is through baptism. So if you've never been baptized, you've never made a public decision to become a follower of Jesus, this is your opportunity. Not sure when the next one will be. And so I'd love to see you at this one. If you're like, what does this church think about baptism? Or what are, what, how do I know? Find out more. I created a video this week called Five Things You Need to Know About Baptism in about 10 minutes. Um, and you can watch that on our page, bellevuechristian.church slash baptism, and sign up there to take your first steps in following Jesus. Now for our text for today, uh, open up to Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 26. This is season two, episode four, and our reader this morning is Rachel Stoikovic. Hello, I'm Rachel, and I'll be reading Luke 5, 12 through 26. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing be made clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in them. Just then, some men came, carrying on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher, through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, that's Rachel uh, Stojkovic, who works at Urban Impact Foundation, by the way, which is one of our partners. And she's one of the best people you can talk to to find out more about how to work with Urban Impact. She's sitting right over here. Put your hand up, Rachel. And uh, she's feeling real embarrassed right now, watching herself read, Welcome to My Life. Um, and, uh, but talk to Rachel sometime. She'd love to tell you about Urban Impact and how you can get involved with one of our favorite partners in the city. So in this episode, Jesus heals two different people. You just heard those stories. A man with leprosy, a 
paralyzed man, and it's two totally different circumstances that these people are being healed in. It could be two different sermons. Uh, I have the capacity to do that, um, but we're going to make it just one sermon because both of these stories share some common principles, some common threads that can teach us about Jesus and healing. And we're going to get into just four facts about Jesus and healing, but before that, I want to walk through these stories a little bit slower um, and go over just a few details, basically one major detail from each story that are going to be important as we move through the Gospel of Luke that I don't want you to miss here before we talk about healing. Um, And so in the first story, uh, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Everyone say leprosy. And it introduces us to a concept that helps us make sense of one of the important controversies uh, that surrounds the life and ministry of Jesus. And it's a controversy around what it means to be clean and unclean. And what are the implications of that? Clean and unclean. I'll tell you right now, it doesn't mean what you think it means in our own time. It has nothing to do with bacteria. And what does it mean to be clean and unclean? And it says here at the beginning of this text, it says, while he was in one of the towns, a man who had leprosy all over him uh, and then came to Jesus. So a man approached Jesus with leprosy all over him. And so we're going to meet a couple people uh, with leprosy throughout the gospel of Luke. But the question is, what is it? Why is it so significant? And why is Jesus meeting people with leprosy all the time, it feels like? It could actually refer to a variety of different diseases, um, not just what we think of as modern day leprosy today, but anything that creates visible rashes or swollen areas on on your skin, any obvious kind of skin defect, Um, anything from really terrible acne to to, uh, actual leprosy that deteriorates significantly could actually be kept under that length. That word is roomy enough to include a lot of things. Remember when I was in uh, elementary school, my family did what all normal families do, Ben-Hur from the library uh, to show us. And maybe you've ever seen Ben-Hur, it's very long. Uh, it's the one thing I remember about it. But the other thing I remember is this, is there was a, uh, there was a scene in the movie where at one point, uh, one, of the main char- uh, one of the main characters interacts with some people with leprosy, and they all have bandages on. And I remember that created a decade-long fear of accidentally contracting leprosy um, and just wondering what it was going to do to me. And so that's something only Christian kids understand, is having a lifetime fear of leprosy. Um, but the reality is, is, it was a terrible disease to get. It still is. In the first century Jewish world, you were required to be isolated from the rest of the community, not just because, but because it risked making someone else unclean. And that's the key word here. Um, in other words, what it could be for somebody was a social death sentence. It wasn't just the idea that you were being, um, you had this disease that was deteriorating you, which was bad enough. It was a social death sentence as well, and you lost your friends and family uh, in some significant ways. But why? Why was this disease considered something that made you unclean? And what is that? Why is that such a big deal? Notice such a big deal. Notice that when this man asks for healing, he doesn't ask for it in the way that you'd expect. You'd expect a man with leprosy to come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, heal me of my leprosy. What does he say instead? He says, uh, Lord, if you are willing, you can do what? You can make me clean. It's a strange word to use for somebody who needs healing. Jesus then, when he heals the man, he doesn't say, be healed of your leprosy. What does he say? Be made clean. Or at the end of this, he says, go to the temple, show yourself to the priest um, for your cleansing. What's all this language about clean? Why is this so significant 
to us here. Again, this isn't being used in the same way that we might be using it today. Because the big issue with leprosy wasn't just what it did to you physically. It was what you did, did to you spiritually and then also with that socially. In the book of Leviticus, which is in our Bibles, it's the third book and it kills 98% of all reading plans, uh, the attempts to read through the Bible. Uh, but there's hundreds of rules guiding what you can or can't touch what, and what sacrificial to, uh, ritual to perform and when, all of which are rules that have their own time and place that were meant to show that God's people are holy and different from everybody else around them to make them a nation that looked different than other people. But one of the main things, we just highlighted certain words throughout the book of Leviticus. You'd see the language Jesus and this, this man with leprosy use here, this idea of clean and unclean show up all throughout this book of Leviticus over and over and over again. This animal is clean. It's clean. This one is unclean. If you touch this, you become unclean. Um, here's what you need to do to become clean again. All over the book of Leviticus, over and over again. And the idea here to be clean or unclean is to be ritually pure or impure, which is the idea that if you're clean, you can approach and be near to the presence of God. But if you're unclean, you can't be near to the presence of God or anything or anybody that would like to be near to the presence of God anytime soon. You're essentially quarantine, not just because people are afraid of getting your disease, but because people are afraid that if they get near to you, they won't be able to get near to God anymore. And so this was an isolating kind of thing. And being unclean wasn't associated, again, with bacteria. It was associated with anything that was connected to death or decay or disease, anything at all park that was the opposite of the life that God had come to bring and give Israel. And so if you were around someone unclean, you risked becoming unclean yourself. And actually what's interesting is there's two whole chapters in Leviticus, dead healings in quick succession. And the focus here, the focus a few weeks ago was on demons, now it's on healings. And it's an opportunity to look at how Jesus heals. And what you're going to notice is I'm going to really focus on how Jesus heals. I'm not going to focus on the spiritual gift of healing, which the New Testament talks about as something Jesus makes available to us, or even Jesus giving us the authority to heal, which we haven't gotten to in the Gospel of Luke yet. So we're going to push those questions down. What I want to focus on today is how Jesus heals. By the end, I want to consider, does he still do that now? So four facts about how Jesus heals. Here's the first one. Jesus heals more than the body but not necessarily less. Jesus heals more than the body, but not necessarily less. Jesus is concerned with healing the whole person, not just part of a person. He's, he's concerned with your emotional, your physical, your spiritual, every aspect of your social, every aspect of who you are. And we see that in these healing stories. If these stories were just about healing of the body, you could make them a lot shorter. They could be Jesus healed this guy, and then Jesus healed this other person. But there's all these details in both of these stories that we've already hinted at that seem to show us that there's more going on than Jesus just healing the body, but also not less than that at the same time. Um, in the first story, Jesus heals the man with leprosy, a skin disease that would have ravaged his physical body. But as I already mentioned, he goes beyond that because leprosy had implications not just for your physical body, but it had spiritual implications, social implications. It was a disease that could wreck your whole life, um, your relationship with God, your relationship with other people, how you under, your relationship with your own body. There's, again, this spiritual component about being clean and unclean. There's a social component. And again, Jesus could have healed 
healed this man with a word. He could have said to the man with leprosy, leprosy, go away, be healed. He could have even kept his distance. He could have been 30 feet away and said, uh, you know, let me just stay there. I'll heal you from here. I can do that. Um, I'm Jesus. And he could have done that. But what does he do? He, the man approaches him. He falls face down. He says, hey, whoa, whoa. He doesn't say, get away from me. You know, what's going on here? Rather, he moves forward and he reaches out his hand. And what does he do? He touches him. That's an unnecessary action by Jesus. But it was necessary because what he was doing is he was taking this man who probably hasn't been touched in who knows how many years, who hasn't been close to people, who haven't been invited to dinner for a long time, who was quarantining not just for six weeks or a year or however many months it's been, but was quarantining for most of his adult life. He touched him and he said, welcome back. That touch is saying, welcome back to community. Come be a part of what's going on again. You know, there's this quote from this book about touch by uh, Lori Ferguson Wilbert, and she talks about, you know, um, hinting at Leviticus. She says, in the Old Testament books of the law, there's a form of one statement made 38 times, and it's do not touch. But a curious thing happens when Jesus begins his ministry. He touches. And he's, again, he's not just here to heal this man physically. That's a part of it. It's not less than that. He's here to restore him spiritually and socially as well. Story two, he heals a paralyzed man who is unable to walk on his own, but he does more than that. He does more than heal him physically. What's the first thing Jesus says to him? Not like, ah, I see that you're paralyzed. Let's take care of that. Let's do something about that. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Why start there? You can imagine this man hearing that or his friends hearing that. It's like, I don't know, Jesus, we didn't just break through your roof with a guy on a stretcher so that you could pronounce forgiveness. We could have done that any time. We broke through a roof with a guy on a stretcher because he needs healed physically of, his, of what's going on here. Don't you see clearly with your eyes? You can imagine the man saying, thanks, Jesus. Look at the stretcher, though. You know, there's some other things going on. I don't know if forgiveness is my biggest problem, but what Jesus is doing here is he's about to get to that, but he goes deeper first. He says, look, I don't want to just make you able to walk, and then you're going to carry around the burden of your sins for the rest of your life. I'm going to forgive you right now as a testament to what I'm doing in the world. We're going to get to that in a minute as well, what he's communicating with this. But then he heals him. There's more than just the body. He heals the body, but he wants to heal even more. And I say not less than the body, though, because I think sometimes there can be an over-spiritualization of texts like these. I've heard sermons preached from texts like these to say, here's four steps for you to be able to walk spiritually again. I was tempted to give a sermon like that today. Like, here are the four steps you need to take so that you can walk spiritually. Or here's, you know, how to cure the leprosy of your soul. Um, that we just reduce everything going on into here as like a metaphor for emotional or spiritual healing. Not to say that those things don't matter, but notice that he didn't come to do that, but he actually heals these people of what's affecting them physically. Then, as in addition to that, or alongside of that, he goes deeper and wider with their healing than what they were expecting. He goes deeper to the spiritual level. He goes wider to their entire social circle. He does more than just heal the body, but not less. And so to those of you who maybe are here and in need of, or are listening online and are in need of physical healing, what I want to let you know is it's okay to ask God for that. It's okay to come before him and say, Jesus, I need healing. Jesus, if you're willing, I know that you can make me well. I know that you can uh, fix me up. I know that you can make me better. But here's what I want you to expect. Expect Jesus to go deeper. 
than, you expect, than you're asking for. Expect Jesus to go after full restoration. Maybe, again, not on our timeline, but that's what he's shooting for, full restoration, physical, spiritual, emotional, social, and more. So that's the first thing, is he heals more than the body, but not necessarily less. Second thing is this, is Jesus heals through supernatural power in these stories, not through typical natural processes or procedures that you might expect. Jesus here is not a medical expert. He is a miracle expert. He didn't go to medical school to do what he's doing. He spent time in the wilderness in communion with God to do what he's doing here. There is a verse in the second story that helps us understand the ways in which Jesus in these stories is healing that aren't explainable in natural ways. And it says this, it says, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. In other words, there's this power that was coming from outside of him that been made available to him that he was accessing. And that is how he was healing people, was through a power that had come from outside of the natural world with which we're familiar with. That's what we have to realize is he wasn't just a dermatologist here that gave the leprous man a prescription for something he could pick up at the the local Walgreens to Capernaum and say, you know, apply this for three to eight weeks and keep coming back to me and we'll see if your skin improves. He wasn't uh, just a rehabilitation specialist who said, you know, I'm going to teach you how to walk and we're going to meet together for the next eight weeks and we'll make sure that you're up to walking and up to speed again. He's not just a motivational speaker who's telling these people, you, it's just in your head. You just need to believe differently about yourself and the leprosy or the paralysis will go away. No, rather what he does is he does something completely different through totally different means that even back then people were not expecting or used to because even back then there was medicine and things that were available for some stuff, but Jesus is doing something different. And before I go any further, you might be asking a question, or maybe you've been asked this question, or you've asked this question at some point. What about the role of doctors and medical experts in healing? Can I go to them? And the answer is yes, of course. We have doctors and nurses in our church. We have people who are a part of medical science in our church, and that, that is a God-given thing. Um, there are some versions of Christianity where people believe you should never go to the doctor, It's not what we're talking about. It's not the version of Christianity we're in. God uses doctors and scientists all the time to advance medicine. As my friend, uh, Dr. Andy Walsh, uh, talked about before uh, all of this pandemic, he did a class on science and talked about how Christians have been at the forefront of a lot of this historically. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, but what, or that's the right thing to do in many cases, but what we're talking about is what Jesus is doing here is not in the same category. Jesus is doing something different here. What he's doing here falls into the category of the miraculous, especially in situations, many of which were beyond medical help. And that brings up the question of miracles, because that's what we're claiming that he's doing here. Something that's happening that seems to be contrary to the normal laws of nature as we understand them. Healing the sick, touching somebody in their leprosy, retreating, raising dead people, all these different things. And by default, in our cultural moment, we are prone to doubt that what is actually happening here, this miracle that the text talks about, is actually happening the way that it says that it happens. When we talked about demons a few weeks ago, I talked about how all of us have grown up in a cultural moment where we have a different view of seeing the world and how people saw it in the first century. Um, and I used this image of porous versus buffered, this idea that there, you know, most of the world throughout most of history has seen themselves, understood themselves as porous, which means they can be affected by things outside of them, which, means, which makes room for the possibility of demons. We, on the other hand, tend to see ourselves as buffered, which means that we can't be invaded by stuff outside of ourselves like demons. Now, you can extend that beyond yourself as well, you know, your, your own little personal universe, but also the universe at large. For most of history and in most of the world, 
world now. People have viewed the universe as something that there is some spiritual power outside of that can, can affect things that are happening inside of that universe. We, though, have grown up in a time where we are naturally conditioned to think that this universe that we can see, smell, and touch is all there is, and that there's nothing that can happen from outside of that universe, nothing that can invade and change the laws as, or affect the laws as they normally seem to run. In other words, miracles don't happen. And if somebody claims a miracle, our gut response is to say there's probably an explanation for this. We don't need to jump to the spiritual. There's probably some kind of explanation. And ultimately, how you view the universe, which we, by default we tend to see it as buffered, things can't invade, miracles can't happen, how you view the universe affects the way that you read these texts. And so we're all bringing these ideas about how the world works into the text. And so when we read about miracles, we struggle with them. C.S. Lewis was one of those people. He was uh, taught at Oxford. Um, he grew up as an atheist, but he became a Christian and did a lot of writing in the middle of the 20th century um, about uh, miracles and all kinds of things. And he wrote a book that was simply called Miracles. And in that book, even written about 75 years ago, he talked about how this view of the, the world existed even 75 years ago. And he said that depending on how you view the world is how you're going to respond to miracles. Here's what he says. He says, if we decide that nature is the only thing there is, then we cannot say in advance whether she's, or, or not the only thing that there is, then we cannot say in advance whether she is safe from miracles or not. There are things outside of her we do not yet know whether they can get in. In other words, if you view the universe as porous, then at least the possibility of miracles has to exist. But if naturalism is true, in other words, if the world is closed and there's nothing outside of it, there's no spiritual realm, then we do, not, we do know in advance that miracles are impossible. Nothing can come into nature from outside because there's nothing outside to come in, nature being everything. And what he's arguing, he goes on to argue why we should really see the universe as open and why God can invade or those kinds of things. But depending on how you view the world is going to affect how you read texts like this. And by default, we tend to view the world in a different way. And because of that, we struggle with texts like this. And I understand that. I know that there are people here who doubt the possibility of miracles like the healing that Jesus is doing here. And that makes sense. I understand that. I understand where you're coming from. I grew up in the same cultural moment. I've had my own struggles with that. But I want you to consider just for a moment, maybe just today, maybe this is all you take from this is to consider why do you believe that things like this can't happen? I encourage you to take a moment and to doubt your doubts. To take these doubts that you've grown up accustomed to having just by where we live and maybe to question those for a second and say, why is that view of the world, that miracles can't happen, the one that I've come to accept? On what evidence am I basing that? Is it reliable? And I think what you'll find, and this is what others have found, that if you look honestly you'll often find that it requires more faith to believe that this world is all there is and to believe in the possibility that there is more than meets the eye. And that leads to the third point now about healing. Jesus heals in response to individual and collective faith. This is the first time where faith is mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, another theme word we're going to see and we're going to unpack more as we go. It is a common word for Jesus the presence of nearly every miracle Jesus performs in the Gospels, with very few exceptions, is preceded, um, are noted by the, the presence of what Jesus calls faith. We see the presence of faith in both of these stories, even if it's only called out explicitly in the second one. 
I found faith to be a very churchy word that doesn't mean a lot outside of church circles. When you talk about faith, it just sounds like a very spiritualized, I'm not really sure what that word is all about. But faith at its core is to believe that somebody can do something. And usually someone can do something that you can't do yourself. To have faith in Jesus is to believe that he can do something that I can't do anything about. More to say about faith in the future. But as an example of that, the man with leprosy, what does he say? He knows that he can't make himself clean. There's nothing he can do to make this leprosy go away. So he goes up to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say anything about his faith here, but you can see it in the sentence where he says, you can make me clean. That's an expression of faith. He's believing Jesus can do something that the the priest can't seem to be able to do, that he can't do, that his family can't do, that he believes Jesus can do. In the second story, Jesus calls out the faith of the friends who bring the man to Jesus. It says he saw their faith in uh, chapter 5, verse 20. The first man showed his faith through works, but these friends are are through words, but these uh, friends are showing their faith through what they're doing, through their actions, that they're carrying this man to Jesus. They're believing that Jesus can do something something for this man that nobody else has been able to do for them. And so faith is essential to what Jesus is doing. Sam Storms in his book on the miraculous writes this, why was faith so important to Jesus? The simple answer is that faith magnifies the mercy and power of God. By its very nature, faith leads us to look away from ourselves and any notion of self-reliance and confidently trust God for every provision. Faith is a personal profession in our personal inability in God's limitless power. In other words, again, it's exactly what we've been talking about. Faith is believing that Jesus can do something that we can't do ourselves. It's believing that he has the authority to do something that we can't do. And one of the things I love about teaching these two stories together is we see that Jesus heals not only in response to individual faith, which is pretty common, but he actually heals in response to collective faith, the faith of other people on somebody's behalf. In the first story, we see an individual uh, with faith. We see, you know, it's somebody like you maybe who is in need of healing and you're going before God on your own behalf. You're saying, God, I'm in this thing. I'm going through this sickness. I'm experiencing this news that I just got from the doctor. I just heard about this thing. I've got this pain. I'm not sure what to do with it. And you're going before the Lord in faith saying, Lord, I know that you can heal. I know that you can make me clean. I know that you can fix me. I know that you can do something about this. That's personal faith. But then what we have as well is Jesus commenting on the faith of these friends. We don't even hear about the faith of the paralyzed man, just the faith of these friends who are showing up, who are digging through the roof. And that's you when you are coming before the Lord, interceding for friends in your life. You Maybe you just got news of somebody who just got a diagnosis that is not great. And you start carrying them before the Lord and saying, Lord, please do something about this. Please heal this friend of mine. What you're doing is you are digging through the roof. You are going to Jesus. You are interceding for your friend in faith, believing that Jesus could heal this friend or family member of yours. And what we see is that Jesus responds to both kinds of faith. Faith on your own behalf and faith on the behalf of somebody else. But this brings up a question. With all this emphasis on faith, if God doesn't heal, does it mean that you don't have enough faith? If God doesn't heal, does it mean that you don't have enough faith? Some of you had had situations in your life where somebody wasn't healed. And maybe you were full of doubt. Maybe I didn't have enough faith. Maybe they didn't have enough faith. Or you have somebody that you're going through right now, something you're experiencing that you've asked God a thousand times to heal you of. And you're like, Lord, is this enough faith? Is this enough? And you, you feel like, and you're wondering, do I have enough faith? So that question arises, if God doesn't heal, does that mean I don't have enough faith? And the answer is no. 
It's not a, it, Jesus does not always heal in the ways that we want him to. God doesn't always heal in this life for purposes that we don't know. What I want you to know is this, is that healing does not happen without faith, but the presence of faith does not always demand the presence of healing. Our faith, God is not like a you know, machine. If I just insert the quarter of faith, I'm going to get healing. That sometimes faith looks like having faith even when healing doesn't come. And so healing does not happen without the presence of faith, but the presence of faith does not always mean that Jesus is going to heal for reasons that we don't understand. And I think one of the most damaging things that I've heard preached over the course of my life uh, is um, not here, but in other places, is this idea that if you, God doesn't heal you of something, it means you don't have enough faith and you need to get better at faith. One of the things I consider myself an expert at is making conversations very awkward um, by talking about death uh, for, and with friends. And so here's one of those examples. Uh, I was in a high school, I was walking down Lincoln Avenue with a friend of mine. And a friend of mine had just got, got home from a church he went to hearing a sermon about faith and healing. And in the sermon, in his summary and interpretation of the sermon, it was, if somebody isn't healed, it means you don't have enough faith. And he was sharing this with me and explaining all of this to me. Now, what he wasn't aware of at this point is that I, my mother had died when I was 12 years old. Um, and so what I told him, this is, again, this is my awkward uh, thing that I do. I said, did you know that my mom died when I was 12? If you want to ruin a conversation, that is the place to go. Um, and I, so I brought that up. And uh, he said, no, I didn't know that. You know, what? Tell me more. And so I started telling him about this. And one of the things that I told him is I talked to him about my mom, who died when I was 12. And if you read her journals or talk to anybody who ever knew her, one of the things you know about my mom is she had no shortage of faith. Everybody in her life looked to her as the pillar of faith, of what it looked like to have faith in God despite any circumstances that she was going through. If you read, I read through one of her Beth Beth Moore workbooks a while back, and um, when you read through it, you just see a woman of intense faith. And there were, and like maybe it was in her friends and family. Maybe they didn't have enough faith. But I can tell you, when she, uh, you know, she died from complications from surgery. She was in coma for a week after her surgery, um, before we had to call it quits. And in that week afterward, um, there was the waiting room was full of friends and family who were there praying and fasting and showing and expressing faith. It was a kind of thing that Jesus would have pointed to exactly and said, "That's faith." But in the end, she wasn't healed. So I could have concluded maybe Jesus doesn't heal at all anymore or something like that, or maybe we didn't have enough faith, but there was no shortage of faith there. And so what I want you to know is that the presence of faith doesn't always mean the presence of healing. And sometimes, again, faith is believing God is good and that he loves you even when healing doesn't show up for reasons that are beyond what we can comprehend. That brings us to our fourth thing, that there's a point to healing. Jesus heals to testify that something new is breaking into something old. Jesus heals to testify that something new is breaking into something old. In other words, miracles are never just about miracles. They are signs that are pointing the way to something else. Healing is not just about healing. It's about what the healing signifies. It's not just, you know, earlier we talked about not just about casting out demons. It's about what casting out demons meant. He wasn't just healing people and casting out demons because he was good at it and because it was fun and entertaining. He was pointing. It was a sign to something else. You know, uh, this week I'm going to be going on a vacation to Hilton Head with our 
my wife, my two kids, and all of my family. We're going to be driving to South Carolina. And at some point, we're going to see a sign that says Hilton Head this many miles away. And I would be very confused if I pulled aside at the sign and said, we've made it to Hilton Head. We're here. We've made it. That's not, that's not where it is. That's just a sign pointing us that there's more ahead. That's what Jesus is doing. These things are signs that are saying the more, this isn't the destination. There is more to come. This is the glimpse of where you're going. This is the appetizer before the full-on meal. I'm just giving you a teaser trailer of the full film. When Jesus is doing this, it is something new breaking into something old that isn't all the way here yet, but there is more still to come. This is why in the first story, when Jesus tells this man uh, to go to the temple, why do his home to go there, not just to check all the boxes, that's part of it, but to do it as a testimony to those who are there. That comes from the Greek word that also means witness, the evidence that something is happening in the world. A new priest is in town who doesn't work in the normal paradigms that you're used to. Something new is breaking into something old, and these priests who are at the temple are going to have to figure out what to do and how this man became well, because he's showing up as a testimony to them. Or later, when Jesus uh, forgives this man's sin, and then he tells him to walk in between that, the forgiveness and they telling him to walk, what does it say? It says, so that you may know. The whole point of this healing was so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to do what he said that he was going to do. Something new is breaking into the old that is disrupting our paradigms for seeing the world. The kingdom of God has made its way into the kingdoms of this world, as we talked about a few weeks ago. And it is displacing diseases and demons as a testimony that the kingdom of God really is here. That his message is not just something he made up, but something that he means and that he's demonstrating and that he's showing us. There is a purpose behind these things. Philip Yancey writes this, Every physical healing pointed back to a time in Eden when physical bodies did not go blind, get crippled, or bleed nonstop for 12 years, and also pointed forward to a time of recreation to come. Each healing is in effect saying, this is just the beginning. I've got full restoration in store. And so if we're standing here in this story with the disciples, following Jesus, standing here learning from him, watching him heal these two people, watching him heal this man with leprosy, watching him heal this man with paralysis and all the other things that happen, we're learning a few things about how Jesus heals. We're learning that Jesus heals more than the body, but not necessarily necessarily less. We're learning that Jesus heals through supernatural power, not natural processes. We're learning that Jesus heals in response to individual and collective faith. We're learning that Jesus heals to testify that something new is breaking in to something old. But the key question for us, the key question I think that's on our hearts is, does he still heal now? Does he still heal now? For you, it's not about whether he could heal then. I think that's so many of us, we read these texts, we see, okay, I get it. I can believe that he healed then. But the question I have is, is he going to do this now? Is this stuff livable? Can I see these things happen in our church? Can I see these things not just happen in Capernaum, but in Bellevue? Not just in uh, Nazareth, but in places like Avalon and Westview. Does he still heal people? I can tell you stories from my experience. You guys know that I'm a Pentecostal at heart. I can tell you stories from my experience of Jesus healing people. I can prove to you, I think, from the scriptures that Jesus still heals people. I can tell you stories from the history of the church that Jesus heals people. I can give you the best argument I can from reason that Jesus heals people. But in the end, if you want to know the answer to the question, does Jesus heal now, you have to find out for yourself. 
You have to experiment with this. You have to take a step, a risk in faith, believing and asking God to say, Lord, I want to see what you can do. You have to reach out like this man and say, Lord, I know what you can do. It's a risk to do this. And I encourage you as we close to see yourself in one of these characters. Maybe you're the man with leprosy who in this story, and it's, you find yourself in a moment where you're broken. You know you need healing. Maybe it's physical. Maybe there is uh, emotional healing or something else that you need, and you can't do anything about it. All the best medical advice can't get you any, nothing's changing, and you're not sure what to do. You've been a doctor after doctor, and now you're going before him. You're saying, I'm not even sure if I believe this, but I need you to heal me. Maybe you're the friend's. You've got somebody in your life who you're praying for. Maybe you haven't started praying for yet because you're afraid to pray for them. You've given them advice. They've been also to doctor after doctor. Something isn't changing. Something isn't going away. And you have the opportunity now to be the friends who begin to pray and intercede for them. And if they are healed, you get to worship and wonder alongside of them as somebody who carried them to the place or before Jesus, someone who has authority to do that. Or maybe because of the cultural moment that we've grown up in. You're just somebody who's standing in the crowd. You're skeptical about all of this. My prayer for you is that over your time in our church, you begin to see and experience healings that disrupt what you believe about the world. And that if you're willing, instead of forcing Jesus to fit into your paradigm, maybe we begin to change what we think in light of what we're seeing and experiencing. No matter where you are, if you want to know the answer to does Jesus heal now, you're going to have to find out for yourself. Let's pray. Jesus, I believe that you still heal now, but I know we're all in different places. I know there are people here in desperate need of healing. I pray that you give them the faith to keep reaching out to you, even if it feels like it's not going anywhere. Lord, I pray for those with friends who are interceding like me right now, who has a friend I'm interceding for who has cancer. Lord God, I just pray that you'd help us to begin to intercede for our friends in faith to reach out to you to believe that you still heal. Lord, for those of us who are skeptical, make us humble enough to let you disrupt what we believe. Give us experiences that we don't have a framework to make sense of. Increase our faith. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If that teaching moved you or left you with questions, let us know by sending a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.